This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, a video that I have been looking forward to do for you here for the last month or so is I want to bring my attorney on the channel. I want to talk about evictions. I want to talk about evictions in 2019, kind of what I've been used to the last 18 years. I want to talk about evictions in COVID, which has really thrown a wrench into everything. And then also talk about something that was passed uh, Tenants Protection Act. We need to talk about that. I think that will have a longer term impact. But to do that, let's bring John onto the show. How you doing, man? Uh, great, Michael. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate uh, to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to do this and not billing me for it. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we didn't talk about that part. But... <laughs> well, I, now it's on record. <laughs> That's funny. So John, why don't you do me a favor, introduce my audience to you. You are a California attorney. You are my attorney in Fresno. Uh, you yes. have done lots of work for me. So introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Uh, my name's John Cadwallader, uh, attorney based here in, in Fresno. I've been practicing for about six years now mm -hmm. with a primary focus on landlord-tenant law. And again, that is something that's important, folks. Obviously, as you know, I've been a landlord for 20 years. And to get somebody who is focused on that part of the team is uh, critical. So first off, if you are in Fresno and you don't have an attorney, I strongly recommend John. Uh, he is he is always there for you. He gives you kind of the the bare bones stuff, just how it is. He's non emotional. Uh, he just just tells you what's going on, which I greatly appreciate. So, John, as we discussed, why don't we just lay out what a normal eviction process looked like in 2019 or 2018 before this whole world of COVID and new tenant laws? Let's just paint what it what used to be normal in California, if you don't mind. What did that look like? Sure. So generally, before you begin the unlawful detainer process, you need to serve a termination notice to the tenant. And so that could be either a 30 or 60 day notice, which could have been with cause or without any cause at all. Or there could have been a breach of the rental agreement, a failure to pay rent or some sort of non-monetary breach like criminal activity, uh, which would have allowed the landlord to use a three day notice uh, to the tenant before starting the unlawful detainer lawsuit. Uh, and so after that notice is served and that notice expires, we file the unlawful detainer lawsuit. It gets served to the tenant. They have an opportunity to contest it by filing uh, a paper with the court. Uh, and then, you know, judgments obtained by the landlord. It goes to the sheriff and the sheriff physically removes any occupants from the property. And Fresno, uh, you know, pre-COVID, you're looking at about six weeks for the lawsuit part of it. Uh, and again, that's after whichever uh, notice the landlord uh, used to terminate the tenancy. Yeah. So from my perspective, again, feel free to correct anything that I have in this because it's been a while since I followed the, the process, you know, soup to nuts. But basically, I'm a landlord. Usually what I'm doing is uh, I'm getting rid of a non-paying tenant, right? When I look at the evictions I've done over my lifetime, I've got to imagine, oh man, 90% of them for non-payment of rent. Some of them for rules violations, you know, drug activity or you know, just whatever, but many of them for non-payment of rent. Because again, why am I a landlord? I want rent. 
Um, and then there were some that you evicted because, you know, for some other, other reasons. So again, right. So the first of the month comes, they don't pay by the fifth. Uh, you know, let's just assume you post a three day notice by the eighth at this point in the process, that's the property manager. You're not involved yet. Correct. Most, well, uh, I do have clients that will uh, have me prepare the notices and, oh, wow. and serve okay. the notices. Uh, if the client uh, uses a property management company, generally the property manager will will serve those pre-eviction notices. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll of course review them, but you know, for the mom and pop landlord that may not have the most current forms, or you know, may not be sure what the appropriate notice is for a specific situation, uh, you know, a big part of what I do is help make sure that we prepare bulletproof notices nice. and have them properly served. Uh, because that really is the linchpin of every unlawful detainer case. Absolutely. If the notice has an error, the whole case is going to fall apart. Yeah, so and, let's you know, keep doing that. Yeah. That, that. That's awesome. Because again, I'm glad you said that. Folks, if you are doing your own property management or whatever in Fresno or even the Central Valley, you need to reach out to John to make sure your notices are bulletproof. Because the few that I've seen have errors, historically speaking, it was a, I don't know what you want to call it, a clerical error, a a name missed, you know, a tenant name missed or, you know, something that you and I would think are inconsequential, but not, it's not in the eyes of the court. It's, it, you just got to start over, right? Basically, yes. Unfortunately, the way unlawful detainer laws developed in California, the landlord held to a very strict uh, standard. The landlord has to strictly comply with every statutory element. And so even something as silly as not having a a phone number on the notice yep. or forgetting to put uh, an agent's name of the property management company on the notice in the right place can lead to the whole case falling apart. And, you know, pre-COVID, we would normally use a fare to pay rent uh, just because it was very easy to prove. It's, you know, you bring in the, uh, the books and records and neither the tenant paid or the tenant uh, didn't pay. Uh, but post-COVID, it's uh, you know very different. We'll uh, get into post-COVID in a minute. Okay. I want to I want to make sure we paint what used to be the normal process. So we're we're into you know it's day eight, day nine of the month. Uh, we've posted a three day notice. They have what is the really what what is the what is a three day notice really all about? It's basically hey you've got three days to you know whatever the outline is, and if you don't, we are going to file the lawful detainer. Is that what it is? Yeah, you know, there's that old saying that equity abhors a forfeiture. And so the law wants to give the tenant one last chance to fix the problem before they lose the lease or okay. in the opportunity to live in the property. And so that three day notice is really that final opportunity uh, telling the tenant that you have three days to either cure the default by mm -hmm. paying the rent or voluntarily leaving the property. If the tenant does either one of those, then no harm, no foul. There's no unlawful detainer at that point. Got it. Uh, and frequently, tenants will will pay the rent uh, or leave. You know, yeah. as you, exactly uh, because you know, as you know, the landlord's in the business of, of renting the property out. No landlord mm -hmm. wants a vacant property and the rehab costs, mm -hmm. and the vacancy costs, and, and all these problems. Squatters moving in. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, I think the three-day notice is beneficial uh, because mm -hmm. it does give tenants that opportunity uh, to cure. Cool. All right. So now, you know, you file the unlawful detainer. It takes about, again, we're in 2019. That's about five to six weeks before a court date, roughly. Frequently, in most cases, there there won't be a court date. 
Okay. Uh, there's only a court date if the tenant responds. Oh, that's right, the response. Eviction. And so uh, frequently the, the tenant wouldn't respond. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say about two thirds of cases, uh, the tenants won't contest the eviction. And uh, if the tenant doesn't contest, it's just a paperwork process and there's no court hearing. If the tenant does contest, then at a minimum, there will be a, a trial or the, which so you know, gives us that. So if they don't respond, when does the when does the landlord get the property back on average, you know, in 2019? Well, um, my record setting eviction was uh, 17 days from filing the unlawful detainer lawsuit through lockout. Mm -hmm. That was in uh, uh, Tulare County, uh, a more rural area south of Fresno. Uh, it, normally in Fresno, you're, you're, it would take about six weeks between filing the unlawful detainer and the actual sheriff's lockout. Yeah, that's what I was used to, about six weeks. Now, if they do file, they whatever that payment or whatever the notice is, how, lo how much longer is that extended? Is it another three or four weeks on average? And again, just trying to ballpark it so people realize what it used to be. If an answer is filed, uh, it really depended by county. Mm -hmm. uh, and Fresno is very good about setting trials within 20 days, and frequently trials would be set within about 14 days. Okay. So I, I would estimate that it would add about a week, potentially okay. two weeks at most. Uh, you know, the biggest variable there, though, is, uh, you know, typically when a trial would be set, uh, you know, we go out in the hallway and try to resolve the case. And so depending on the particular merits of, uh, of any given case, we, we might have offered the tenant, you know, an extra week or so on the property to get a, to negotiate a, a stipulation or a, a basically a, an agreed upon uh, judgment without mm -hmm. having to go through the full trial. Very because cool. frankly, the courts, you know, wouldn't have time to hear the 20 or 25 uh, UD trials that are set on a given day. Yeah. So there's a, a strong, uh, you know, policy preference towards, you know, getting these cases resolved. And eviction cases are normally very uh, susceptible to, to settlement. The issues are generally very simple and straightforward. Yeah. So what I always used to tell, you know, again, this is 2019 before, you know, 2020 changed everything. I would always tell people when they ask, you know, because I always get asked, why are you a landlord in California, evictions law? Why don't you go to Texas where it's five days or seven days or whatever it is? You're an idiot for being in California. I would just tell them, well, I plan for, you know, I budget for a certain amount of, you know, evictions or vacancies every year. And for me, I always budgeted 75 days, right? I can only remember one eviction I ever had that it was longer than 75 days, right? A professional tenant who knew, who knew the system. But um, does that kind of seem right? 75 days is an average or would you rather do, you know, 60 days? I think that's, I, I'm trying to think of evictions that have taken longer and it, it would be a very extreme scenario. I, you know, I'm envisioning a tenant that perhaps has declared bankruptcy uh, and taken some other more extreme delay tactics. I. Uh, so I, I think that's really a, would, would have been a very conservative uh, okay. uh, time estimate. Um, yeah. All right. So now let's, so that's okay, folks. So it's about 75 days in California, maybe 60, somewhere in there. Um, you know, we've been through the whole process now. Welcome COVID. Welcome. You know, really we have two things to talk about. And again, um, I guess, so first off, we'll talk about what California did. And then I guess we'll talk about what CDC did uh, because I, my, my opinion first is California is more restrictive. Thus, what happened with the CDC thing doesn't really come into play, but you can tell me. Um, 
So why don't we talk about sure. what California brought in first? I think it was in March is when they brought this in. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned, being a landlord in California, you're always susceptible to, you know, regulation risk. Uh, there's a very strong uh, uh, pro-tenant lobby in the state, and you've got some really strong representation from some assembly members in the Bay Area that that, that push through these restrictions. And, you know, you're, you're better at the math than I am, Michael, but I, I think at the end of the day, you just, you know, have to build that into your... Uh, uh, to your discount rate, that regulatory risk, and demand that higher return. Yep. Uh, you know, the reason why, you know, you and frankly, why I invest in California real estate is because even with all of these potential risks from the government, you still have the capability to outperform real estate in other areas of the state. But specifically uh, into COVID, the state, it's been a very interesting six months. Uh, the governor declared a state of emergency in March of this year. Yep. And as part of that state of emergency, the governor granted to uh, the uh, chief justice of the California Supreme Court the ability to waive and, you know, change laws in the state uh, as necessary uh, during the, the COVID emergency. And one of the first things that the, uh, the chief justice did uh, is pass what's called emergency rule one. And emergency rule one prohibited courts starting April 6 from issuing summons in new unlawful detainer cases. Uh, it also removed the 20 day uh, uh, requirement to set trials effectively uh, and also uh, explicitly required unlawful detainer trials to be set out and continued at least 60 days. And uh, effectively, single handedly, uh, the Chief Justice basically stopped unlawful detainers uh, in the state of California. There was a very limited exception for health and safety issues. And that required basically getting the court's permission to even start the unlawful detainer lawsuit. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to litigate those issues and decide whether that was an appropriate use of, of uh, of emergency authority and whether the governor was actually allowed to delegate uh, mm. his authority in such a way. Uh, because, you know, in a nutshell, he basically avoided all political responsibility for stopping evictions for, uh, you know, about six months in California. But the, the uh, Judicial Council ended that rule uh, September 1st. Uh, the uh, legislature in California uh, uh, passed you know, a last minute law, it was Assembly Bill 3088, uh, affectionately called the COVID-19 Tenant Relief Act of 2020. Uh, that was signed by the governor August 31st. And that uh, created essentially a, a whole new regime for doing evictions in California. We went from having a, a three-day notice to pay or quit to having a 15 uh, business day notice to pay mm -hmm. or quit with the opportunity for the tenant to submit a blank declaration of hardship. And depending on which month rents was being demanded, uh, the tenant could potentially never be evicted for failing to pay rent for certain months. And uh, even today, if a tenant fails to pay rent and we serve the 15 day notice and the tenant declares a hardship, uh, the tenant's only required to pay a quarter of the rent by the end of January. And, you know, this law could continue to be extended by, uh, by the legislature here in California. So, 
so that, that was a, a major change. Uh, another significant change is that uh, now all evictions uh, through the end of January of next year require cause. Uh, landlords in California, at least at present, can no longer serve 30 or 60 day notices uh, without cause, uh, as generally you're allowed to do before COVID. Uh, and then um, you mentioned the CDC regulation. Uh, th that has a, another, uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's fascinating and I, I, I'm sure we'll be arguing over whether that was constitutional or, you know, a legitimate action by the, the CDC. But in a nutshell, it's, well, it's really rather confusing. Uh, arguably, the CDC's order would takes effect when it is more restrictive or has a more uh, compelling public health benefit than the state's law. Uh, however, tenant attorneys would argue that you look at even the individual components of the mm. state's law. And so if there's any area where the state's law might be less restrictive than uh, the CDC regulation, then the CDC regulation should control. Mm. Now, initially, the thinking was uh, that if you, the tenant gave you the CDC declaration that the entire case would have to stop. And in fact, the landlord couldn't serve notices, couldn't file an action, we, the trial would be stayed, all these things would stop. But the CDC recently came out with uh, basically a frequently asked question where they said- <laughs> Yeah, their clarification, it, I thought that was funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, where yeah, it just applies to that physical eviction. And so, you know, my guess, frankly, is that it's going to really depend county by county and how, you know, each individual judge uh, views these requirements. All of this is so new that I don't know that there, you know, there's no president, um, you know, I, it's really just a very convoluted and yeah. kind of complicated time. Let me, let, me tell, let me tell you how I felt as a landlord. Again, as I say it, like it's obvious, but I'm not an attorney. I'm just somebody who owns some properties and, and needed to start some evictions. My feeling kind of like March or maybe it was April to September was I couldn't evict anybody. No, no unlawful. That's how I felt. Whether it was right or wrong, I couldn't evict people for not paying. I couldn't evict problems. I couldn't evict for, I just couldn't evict. It was all stopped. And for most of that, the courts were shut down. So there was no place to even go if I wanted to do something. So that's how I felt. Then this 3088 thing came out last minute, led by the guys in San Francisco, which whatever. Um, basically, they tried to appease the small landlords, which are getting smoked. They are, if you bought a property in like 2018 or 19, and you don't, and you're in San Francisco, you're going to lose that property because your tenants are paying, uh, rent strikes, all of these things going on. And now there was this little kicker, I'll give them 25%, which, oh, by the way, I had forgotten isn't even due till January. I thought it was due every month. I didn't realize that. So Jesus. So again, that came out. And then like the CDC thing came out, like it was like a week later, like five days later or something. And I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? Um, so it is very confusing. And where I was going with this is I thought the US constitution and the California constitution both said essentially government can't interfere with contracts between individuals of you know consenting or whatever the right verbiage is. I thought that was a US constitutional and in the California constitution, but apparently I, not. You know, I, 
I, I agree with you in principle. Uh, you know, I, I guess technically the, uh, I think that constitutional requirement applies to states, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, I think potentially you have a takings issue. Uh, you know, I think what's so difficult about this is there's so, there's very little precedent in these types of emergencies. And, uh, you know, unfortunately some of the Supreme Court president going back, uh, you know, a hundred years ago was, mm -hmm. you know, very kind of liberal, you know, giving, granting, uh, 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 you know, the executive liberal authority to, uh, to enact these sorts of restrictions when they're believed to be in the public health and safety. And, you know, I, 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 I I'm hopeful that this situation will, uh, you know, encourage courts and, uh, and the people to, to reevaluate those, um, you know, th these types of, of provisions and, and perhaps put more restrictions in place. Yeah. But um, I mean, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir, Michael, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, unfortunately yeah. that's kind of the, so, the so, if, so, yeah. So if I go back to what I felt right, six months, couldn't, couldn't evict anybody even, I mean, it felt like, and I might have been wrong, but it felt like I couldn't evict a drug dealer. I mean, that's what it felt like for six months. The one thing that changed with 3088, Assembly Bill 3088, is I finally felt I could evict for just cause, right? I could evict a drug dealer. I could evict, uh, evict a violent tenant, right? It felt like I at least had some of the outlier causes, which made me feel a little bit better because there was some bad stuff going on that we were hamstrung from. So on that, on that standpoint, I thought that was a, a positive step forward. Do I have that right? There was at least causes admitted that you could file for in that bill? Yes. Um, and uh, so there was actually a kind of a just cause, a statewide law that was passed last year. And AB 3088 essentially adopted all of those causes as being just causes for purposes of the, uh, the COVID AB 3088 law, mm -hmm. uh, with a couple of minor exceptions. Uh, one being that uh, they modified the uh the cause for remodeling the property uh mm. to only include severe habitability issues and uh they did add an additional cause uh where a single family property owner could issue a notice if they're already in contract to sell the property to a buyer who intends to occupy it mm. but it's so such a narrow exception and wait, nobody's uh you know you're, you're not going to want to list your property particularly to an owner occupant buyer uh, with a tenant in it uh mm -hmm. yeah I, I i don't know if you've ever done that michael but it, no it's, it's it's a disaster <laughs> it's a, yeah that's a problem yeah. waiting to happen no thank you yeah so so all of these are interesting everything going on so at this point what i'm feeling about COVID is if i have a bad actor i have a bad tenant i can evict now that's how i feel right I still have a problem collecting rent, right? I still have all of these forms that need to be filled out, um, but there's at least a process and in fairness or not fairness, tenants don't always follow the process. They can play games. So I, I, I feel we've gone from my opinion, we've gone from zero evictions possible to maybe, I don't know, 15, 20, 25%. It's still hard. It's still long. It's still time consuming. Uh, in California, the tenant is always right. The landlord's always wrong but at least I feel like it's starting. And I believe the courts are open, right? The courts are open now so they can be filed. I think that's gonna vary county by county. Uh, here in Fresno, the, the courts are hearing jury trials, uh, even in civil cases. Um, so things are, uh, you know, 
I think about as normal as they're going to be. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, there's the public is still not allowed to to go into the courthouses, but always they're, they're holding hearings. Mm. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, basically right now we need a non-monetary breach. Yep. Some sort of uh, criminal activity would you know always would work. Uh, but there are a lot of no-fault causes. Uh, the um, you know if the owner intends to occupy the property as an example of one that comes up from time to time uh, um, you know but there it, it is very restricted yeah. however yeah. these restrictions are set to end at the end of uh, January of next year now come that on hold on hold on <laughs> yeah no, yeah they they have a current date of January 31st do you want what is your bet that gets extended or not I, I would be shocked if there's not some sort of yeah. extension. I don't know if it's going to be exactly the same, but I, I, you know, I mean, with the assemblyman that you have behind this, uh, it will get extended. Members, I'll say it because so, something is going to get extended. Yeah, it'll likely. be extended. Uh, and again, so the, the outcome of all of this is going to be mom and pop landlords suffer. Um, there's no question, right? The, there are, you know, there's some there's there's some reports out there about seven or eight billion dollars in back rent by the time this is all done. And again, expenses don't stop. Yeah, sure, maybe you go get a mortgage forbearance, but capital expenses still happen. You still got to pay utilities, you still gotta pay insurance. Hey, I still had to pay Gavin Newsom a shit ton of property taxes. Fucking guy. I mean, Jesus. Uh, he didn't delay property taxes. So I mean, ah, he's a piece of work, that one. Uh, so you know what I actually want to do now is I want to step back to the bigger thing that actually happened pre-COVID. I believe it went into effect January 1st of 2020. I call it rent control. It's called something else, I'm sure. But when I looked at it, it was rent control, cap of 5% plus this uh, on units, not single family homes. That was interesting little twist I didn't catch right away. Uh, but you want to talk about that? Because I think that's important. Sure. And uh, I agree. And, you know, this really has kind of slid through under the radar. You didn't hear a lot about this uh, last year, but the legislature came up with uh, uh, AB 1482, the Tenant Protection Act of 2019. And in a nutshell, yeah, statewide rent control and just cause uh, eviction requirements. Uh, you laid out the rent control. Well, it's uh, 5% plus California CPI, which mm -hmm. You know, nobody knows where to find, but it's <laughs> on some state website somewhere. Uh, this year, it's only 1% because it's April to April and mm -hmm. it was right in the middle of COVID. So you're, you're stuck with 6% rental increases. Uh, yeah, know, let's hit, let's hit that statewide. first. Yeah, let's hit that first. First and foremost, th that, this rule, AB 1482, is once again going to crush mom and pop investors, specifically the folks that weren't running a good business. And what do I mean by a good business? That means you allowed your tenants to rent under market properties, right? If you had a fourplex or a tenplex or an eight unit or whatever it was, and you've had it, you've had no debt on it, you've owned it for 30 years, and you let your property go for 300 bucks under market, you have significantly reduced the value of that asset. Because what you would do in 2019 is you would sell on future value, right? Raise rent, you know, this, do that. Can't do that today, right? Mm -hmm. You just can't, right? It's 6%. So uh, mom and pop landlords have taken big hits. Uh, and this again is on units. Um, but again, if you run a good business, I have never raised rents in all of my years on an existing tenant more than 5%. So when I looked at it and I kind of understood the variables, I'm like, oh, okay, well, 
I guess I got to raise rents every month. Gavin Newsom told me to, or every year, because historically I would raise rents every other year, right? Because if you paid rent on time every 12 months, I'd give you a year of no rent increase. But now, you know, sorry, Gavin Newsom says I have to raise rent 5% every year. So now tenants get, you know, rent increase every year. Thanks to Gavin. Yeah, you fit the nail on the head, Michael. The, the key person I did is the guy that wasn't keeping the rents up to market. And, uh, you know, that directly is going to really hurt the value of that property. Uh, you know, it's just the income numbers aren't going to work out. And, it, you know, it's it's really sad. Uh, you're kind of stuck with buying out the tenants, um, you know, because you are allowed to adjust to market uh, when yes. there's a vacancy. But, you have, yeah, uh, you know, it's really sad to hear those, those types of situations. And the way they set up the initial part of it, uh, the adjustment uh, or kind of that baseline rental number is based on March of 2019 mm. or March 15 of 2019. And so, uh, you know, even if you increase the rent late in 2019 before the law took effect, oh. uh, you're, you actually had rollbacks uh, wow. January 1 of 2020. And, uh, you know, an another uh, killer there is that, uh, you know, for it, uh, single families to be exempt, uh, the landlord would have had to give a notice to the tenant by August 1st of this year. Mm. And so arguably, if the landlord missed that opportunity, even that single family property is now subject to statewide rent caps and just cause wow. eviction requirements. Uh, so oh. it's, uh, yeah, very, uh, very unfortunate. And I think, uh, you know, that more than... The, the laws have just changed so much in the last couple of years in California, where previously I could, you know, pretty reliably tell a landlord to go get the Novo book at Barnes and Noble. And you, you know, most of what you needed to know, uh, unless you ran into an unusual situation. But now you've just got these really uh, thorny new laws with, uh, you have to have very exacting language in your rental agreements to comply with them. And it's all California specific mm. that, uh, you know, you're stuck with either, you know, getting a management company mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, signing up with one of the uh, landlord associations in California uh, or basically having, you know, an attorney do everything, which, mm. you know, so it's really difficult for the, for the mom and pop. Uh, in the state, but you know, you just build that in. There you go. Well, do me a favor. We're, we got some more to talk about here, but I've been remiss. I haven't asked you, how can people get a hold of you if they are a California landlord? Cause you are licensed in California. How can they reach out to you either website or phone number? Cause I know there's a lot of California investors that follow me and I suspect your phone in, phone or email is going to uh, light up shortly. So how should they do that? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, you can give me a call. It's area code five, five, nine, two, two, one, three one 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 uh or uh you can go on my website it's fresno ca evictions.com and uh i do evictions uh you know most everywhere in the state uh you know most of what i do is, is here in the valley but the laws are are pretty consistent now uh you know statewide uh um, so yeah, happy to uh, talk through any specific scenarios and awesome. you know, at least give you an idea of what, um, you know, well, what we can do. Well, do me a favor. And after we end this, text me your website again, because uh, I got your phone number. I'm going to put your phone number and website right at the top of this interview uh, so people can follow you. But let's go back to oh. AB 1482. Uh, we talked about the rent increase or rent, rent control, but there's another part, the just, uh, just cause evictions. Why don't you talk about what was changed in that? Because that's important. Sure. 
So uh, historically, either party to a month to month rental agreement could terminate it with 30 days notice. The tenant could give the landlord 30 days notice and get out of the deal. The landlord could give the tenant 30 days notice and get out of the deal. Uh, several years ago, the legislature uh, you know, continued to allow tenants to give 30 days notice, but required landlords to give 60 days notice if the tenant had been in possession for more than a year. Uh, but now with this just cause eviction law, uh, if the tenant's been in possession more than a year to a property that's subject to uh, 1482, the landlord must state cause in the notice. There would be no more no cause uh, notices uh, uh, permitted for those types of tenants. And you see that generally it has to happen in conjunction with rent control or the landlord would always just be able to evict the tenant uh, you know, and reset to market uh, for the, the rent caps. Uh, but that was a very significant change. Uh, the, there are, uh, under this law, two types of causes, generally. There's at-fault just cause and no-fault uh, just cause. At-fault just cause are familiar care to pay rent, non-monetary breaches, um, you know, those types of things. Uh, the no-fault just causes are, you know, an owner's intent to occupy the property, uh, a, um, you know, a need to remodel the property those types of things. If uh, a no-fault cause is used, uh, then the landlord's obligated to provide relocation assistance to the tenant. Well, let's talk about that. That assistant is a monetary, that's monetary, that's dollars. Yes, Uh, the landlord has two options. Option one is to pay the tenant uh, one month's worth of rent, or option two is to waive the last month's rent. As you might expect, uh, every landlord elects to waive the last month's rent. And so it doesn't require handing cash to the tenant, but it does require not collecting that last month's rent from the tenant. Mm -hmm. And uh, then if the tenant fails to vacate and you go through the eviction procedure, you can get that last month's rent in the eviction lawsuit. Mm. But, um, you you know, well, except you can't now. uh, Well, you could, but you can't. Well, maybe next year you can. We'll, we'll see what the legislature does. Under the COVID law, uh, the landlord can't get the daily rental value uh, of the property um, uh, if it's a COVID rental debt, which is March through January mm-hmm. of next year. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of stuff going on in California. I expect more stuff to go on next year. Folks, if you are a California landlord, you need to have John's contact details. I have his phone number is 559 221 Three one, one one, and again, I will put his website on this. Uh, John, any clo- any any good news for California landlords? Man, uh, you know, mortgage rates are real low, uh, <laughs> rents are high, and you know, I uh, there was an article in the journal about you know rising uh, you know unpaid rental debt last week, I but saw that. you know, it's still it looks like it's not as high as it, as it was during the financial crisis. So I think there's some good news there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, once these protections kind of work their way through uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll develop more rational ways to actually, uh, uh, you know, provide protection that's commensurate with the tenant's actual need instead of just blanket protections to anyone who can, uh, you know, is willing to perjure themselves on a declaration, basically. I I think we'll, uh, you know, reach some more reasoned policy decisions, but, you know, in the meanwhile, I just keep my fingers crossed. And, uh, yeah. you know, as you mentioned, keep paying those property taxes. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. All right, folks, one more time. If you are a California landlord and you need some help, 
Uh, I strongly recommend uh, John. He is my attorney. He does all my work in Fresno, Central Valley, has for years. Um, thanks, buddy, for doing this. I really appreciate you helping folks. Oh, sure. Uh, thank you for having me. Have a great day. All right.